Happy Friday, another beautiful summer day in Vancouver, and we're in the mobile Kintech studio. It's Dan Riccio and Josh Elliott-Wolf with the People's Show for the next three hours live on location at Nat Bailey Stadium here. It's a beautiful day for baseball, 105 first pitch between the Vancouver Canadians and Everett. So, got lots to come today. And uh, we'll uh, we'll have some fun along the way as well. If you have questions for the show, it's a Ask Us Anything sort of Friday. We're going to do a mailbag coming up after 12 o'clock. Questions can come in 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We'll answer some questions on uh, life, love, laughter, whatever it is you do so choose. Maybe not love. Maybe not love? Maybe not love. Not this kind of show. Okay. Fair enough. So, um... Okay, there's there's a couple of hockey things going on. The Ottawa Senators signed Vladimir Tarasenko to a one-year, five million dollar deal. Um, you know, there's a list of the worst contracts out in the NHL right now. There is not a Canuck on the list, so that's at least a, a feather in your cap as a Canucks fan for right now. They for the just, first time in like forever, I assume. I know it's just like it's either been OEL or Tyler Myers or Louis Erickson. But not right now, although they did uh, just buy out OEL and they are paying for that penalty for the next number of years. Um, Beyond that, the Canucks, okay, I'm going to be completely honest here. I saw Andre Kuzmenko's workout videos on Twitter this morning. And you were super impressed. I was very underwhelmed. One of the things, Josh, I don't think there's upside to – releasing a workout video like the off-season workout video from a professional athlete zero upside in releasing this uh uh, i mean like depends on depends on where you started like for kuzmenko like i don't think he like got super like he was already in shape you know but if you were an athlete that was out of shape to an extent and you release a training video being like look how jacked i am yeah that can do something i just I, I rarely think there's ever, like, any sort of uh, super positivity that's going to come out of it. Unless you were, like, Nick Chubb and you're squatting 600 pounds or whatever the heck it was the yeah. other day. You and have the, to use one of the bars yeah. that bends because you're <laughs> the, like – What do they call it? The earthquake bar or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, and it's, like, absolute insanity, right, uh, when you look at that thing. And, yeah, everybody's going to be like, that's super impressive. But, you know – if you're Andre Kuzmenko and you're just running up a bunch of stairs, or doing split squat split squats with a like three pound stack <laughs> of firewood, that's not impressive to like, you. Like great view with your infinity pool and Bali, Andre. But I don't know if this is like the workout video that's going to tell me you're going to build on your 38 goals next year. And PK Subban used to have this problem, and mostly because PK Subban was a target of. A, of everybody's off-season vitriol for whatever reason. But no matter what, when he released a workout video, people were like, oh, there's PK again doing his workout video thing. Yeah. And it's just like, why? I don't. So, so this is what I mean by there's no upside to it. And it kind of had me thinking, like, which Canucks do we think could have breakout years similar to the one Andre Kuzmenko had last year? Or which Canuck could regress you know i'm already on the record as kuzmenko was putting up his 38 goal season saying i have strong doubts he's able to match this goal total next year 
So are there some Canucks we could see regress in this upcoming season? We'll start with the breakouts because it's Friday and we want to be positive. But the Canucks absolutely need somebody to break out from somewhere, right? They didn't add a ton of offense to this team. They focused all of their offseason priorities, additions, on the defensive side of the puck, and that more so really has them leaning on finding some extra offense internally. They lost Bo Horvat. They traded Bo Horvat. Where are you going to replace those goals from? It can't all fall on Elias Pettersson and JT Miller and Quinn Hughes. They need to find other offensive sources in this lineup. Where is it going to come from? For me, there there are two obvious options, and especially because the Canucks don't have – this isn't a year again where they have any prospects that are knocking down the door ready to take a bigger role with the team. But the two obvious options, I think, are – Vasily Podkolzin and Niels Hoaglander. And one of the two or both? I would just say one of the two. Okay. And the reason for that is just because I think one of them is going to get a shot at some point in the in the season in the top six, maybe taking over for your boy Phil DiGiuseppe at some point, if all things go well. I just don't know if there's room for both of them in the top six. Uh, if I had to choose, it would be Vasily Podkolzin, just because I trust his... I feel like the coach will trust his game a little bit more, especially if he's going to get that opportunity playing alongside JT Miller and Brock Besser. Uh, I mean, the obvious answer is is, uh, Phil DiGiuseppe for me, but... um, How can can he build on a wonderful year? (laughs) Uh, His his point totals in a very limited amount of time were, were pretty dang impressive. But I guess my wonder is... Okay, so... Kidding aside. You say Vasily Podkolzin and Nils Hoaglander. That assumes they are going to earn at least a look higher up the lineup. Yeah. If we were to handicap the Canucks' top two lines right now and what they would be, it is some combination of Pedersen, Besser, JT Miller, Kuzmenko, Mikheyev, and Anthony Beauvillier. Am I wrong on that? Beauvillier, I think could very easily start on the third line like we saw him there last year right um but yeah like it's he's kind of got the the inside track for sure rick tockett knows he's got maybe not his ideal solution but he knows he can go bovillier patterson kuzmenko to start the season and they'll have a relative amount of success yeah it'll be fine um i do wonder though because tockett didn't have mckayev and so i do wonder if uh if mckayev is going to be in there instead of Beauvillier and maybe have Beauvillier like because look the Canucks need need depth scoring this year and I just wonder if Beauvillier Garland Bluger on the third line (laughs) is it is a way of trying to get that depth scoring yeah I I, uh I have serious doubts about the Canucks depth scoring I think a lot is going to rely on uh the top two lines and that's why I think it is so important that they get some production uh, from there, and they're going to have to find other sources of production. I have no idea what to expect out of Vasily Podkolzin and Nils Hoaglander. Mm-hmm. They are the two most obvious answers, of course, in this conversation, and they make a lot of sense given their either early track record in their career or, especially in Podkolzin's case as a top-ten pick, you know, a 
track record, an expectation that you're going to get a decent player with a top 10 selection. They just, the idea of Pod Colson being reckless, the idea of Pod Colson showing up to camp and being ready to jump into a top six role, still a little bit of a long shot for me. And I, I think this text sort of outlines where I'm looking. And it's Brad and Cloverdale. I'm betting on a Besser resurgence and a Mikheyev breakout. Now, I don't know about a Mikheyev breakout. I think if you get, what did he have his last year in Toronto there, 21 goals? Yeah, I believe so. I'll just check right now. Uh, 21 goals, 11 assists. That's sort of, you know, a Mikheyev-esque breakout. He's scoring some goals, shorthanded goals, really being a big factor on the penalty kill. And, I mean, he's just never really been much of a playmaker, so you can't really expect him to really up his point totals that way. So, as much as I see a Mikheyev is going to be a big part of this team, I'm not sure there's huge breakout potential there. Besser is the one. I know he had over 50 points last year, but if Besser's game gets back to something closer to what we saw the North Division season, his rookie season, that's the Brock Besser that can make a bigger impact on this roster. Doesn't have to be like 30 goals. I mean, he's just got to be that functional player that was the Canucks' best player the North Division season. Maybe a low bar, but, Mm -hmm. you know, that was as good a Brock as we've seen at any point in his career. My thing with Brock, and I know we've talked about this before, is that Every year, it feels like we go in being like, this is the year for Brock. Last year, it was him saying, 30 goals. I'm going to hit 30 this year. This is the year. This is the year. And we just haven't seen it. Aside from the North Division year where, yeah, he was probably the best player. Played a really good all-around game. And even though he didn't get 30 goals, you were still very confident in him as a player. Yeah. To me, I just haven't seen that in so long that I'm done trying to bet on it. And so for me, he just he is who he is at this point. And so in, in 50 terms point, of fifty like twenty ish goals and fifty points yeah. with limited defensive value. Yeah, and that's fine. Like I, I don't think that's a bad player to have on your team, but I just don't know if I see the complete upside that a lot of people saw, including myself, early in his career. I, I just think that's gone now. Brock There's one area Brock had really come up short last year offensively that I think can get him to maybe some of the offensive projections a lot of people had hoped for earlier in his career, and that's on the power play. You know, if Brock can fill in on the bumper spot because they didn't fill that role well last year, he's shown at least um, an aptitude to be able to have success in that bumper spot he doesn't have like the thing about brock his one-timer his slap shot not the thing that made his shot so impressive in vancouver it was that quick release snapshot pinpoint accuracy that really got everybody excited in his rookie year and if the canucks find a way to be able to utilize of that more often from the bumper slot if brock is able to win that role in training camp I think that's where we could see Brock have more success 
from a goal scoring perspective it has to change some things about the look of the Canucks power play obviously mm-hmm. but it certainly can help them find a, a, somebody for that role he is the most equipped to win in that role and two it's the best bet of getting the most out of Brock Besser offensively I just don't know when it when it comes to the shot I just don't know if he has that shot anymore too right um and and terms of the power play I just it, it almost feels like they really want a left-handed shot in the bumper just to make sure yeah just to, didn't work though I know and, and but like that, that's probably that your best guy. option still yeah. I still feel like do you do you have more confidence in Beauvillier being in the bumper or Besser being in the bumper if you're Rick talking Besser see I don't know because like you would have to you would have to change a lot about how that power play operates, I think. Well, the one thing that it would do, because there is so much um, teams overprotect against Pedersen and the one-timer, it gives Pedersen an option to do the fake one-T slap pass into the middle mm-hmm. because – when Horvat was there, you couldn't do that play. He's a left shot. He doesn't have a good angle at taking that for a shot into towards goal. It, it always had to come from the over to Miller, down low to Kuzmenko, back up into the slot for Bo Horvat. But now if you flip that, it, it starts to happen on the other side. I think it, in theory in my head it can work. It's just obviously it's – a bunch of opposites to what we'd normally seen this power play take over so and and be able to have success with so Brock is the other name that I think could could get there and is it 30 goals I'm not sure but given some of the reports of Brock's offseason you know he stayed away from the beauty league this year and is more focused on his offseason conditioning and has had uh, you know a lot of input from the organization as to where he can grow as a player. And he's really trying to put that into practice. Ultimately we'll see in training camp. And you know, the one thing for Brock get through training camp healthy. Yeah. Like it just seems every year because last year it was the finger and uh, the cut on his hand, whatever it was. And then the year before it was, yeah, he started the season, but uh, he suffered a groin injury in training camp and was kind of dealing with that for the first little bit of the year. Like, we, we can't keep having this yeah. every single season. Figure out a way to be healthy by the end of training camp so that way you're not starting the season on one foot. You know, we need to see the best of Brock Besser right away out of the gate. And I think a lot of that comes down to the conditioning as well. Yeah. Like, it, your preparation in the summer leads into what you do in training camp and how healthy you are in training camp. Um I really hope he's taking it very seriously this summer. Yeah. Because it just feels like the last few years he hasn't to to the extent that he probably has had to. And I know I know there's been other stuff going on off the ice and, and you gotta give him credit for trying to handle all that as well as trying to be an NHL player. And I'm not I'm not trying to discount that at all. But this just feels like it has to be the year where things click for him. Otherwise, I just don't see his long-term future in Vancouver. So this text, um, the expectations on Brock, Matt and Suri, we're going into year six or seven, still waiting to see him match his rookie goal total again. That's from Matt and Suri. 
I want to see more of the responsible Brock Besser come back into the uh, equation for the Vancouver Canucks. He's never going to be a penalty killer, but he did have some two-way chops and played pretty well at both ends of the rink. It's just not been there. Some of that comes down to his pace. Some of that comes down to a lot of factors, as we've often talked about with Brock, but that's got to be there to go along with, you know, some goal totals. If you want some, you know, realistic scenarios for him to hit, I do think it's possible he can still get to 30 goals because of his offensive potential, but, you know, putting a raw number on it doesn't really do a lot of good. The Canucks need a 60-point player out of Brock Besser for the role that he's going to play on this team, especially if he's on the top power play unit. I think that that's sort of a bar that I, th- I don't think you can really get around for the role and the pay that he's got going into this season. Yeah, definitely. And, and you mentioned it. Like, the pay is the other thing. When you're – like, he's up – he could – extend his contract after the season as well yeah so there's some maybe extra motivation for him uh in terms of especially if he wants to stay in vancouver like earn your spot show that you deserve a consistent spot in the top six and that you're going to excel in that and then well i think brock got a big piece of humble pie this year too right yeah (laughs) it's like he kind of sort of asked for a trade and the team is like Oh, great, but nobody wants you or your contract, yeah. right? So what are you going to do? And eventually he rescinds that at the end of the year because, well, one, it's you're kind of forced to stick around here, and two, you've been served this humble pie, and it's like, wow, my reputation around the league has, has really taken a hit over the last couple of years, and people don't view me as a player that's worth what my contract is paying me. So when you get to that stage, it's time to put up or shut up. Right. And I think that's where Brock is at. And that's why I'm kind of excited for him to at least see what's going to happen in training camp and see if he's ready to go to really maximize on his potential. When it comes to players who could break or regress, on the other hand, um, why is it Andre Kuzmenko to me? It's like it's so hard to pick the most obvious. answer. Yeah, it's so hard to pick anybody other than Andre Kuzmenko. I kind of went through it, I think, a couple of weeks ago looking at it. And what what Braden Point I think was second in the NHL in shooting percentage, right? And Kuzmenko cleared him by seven or eight percent. Wow! And it's just like if you regress to even twenty percent, which is where Point was at, because Kuzmenko I think was shooting twenty seven ish percent last year. Absolute insanity. Yeah, if you regress to around twenty percent, that takes away I think it was he was under thirty goals or around thirty last year. Yeah, which is which is still good. You take that. But realistically, that 27% shooting percentage I don't think is going to carry over year to year. For me, though, the one thing about Kuzmenko that might stop him from potentially, I don't even want to say taking a step back because I feel like last year was we're going to look at it as such an outlier for his career norms unless, unless he does repeat. But I wonder if there's more playmaking ability that he hasn't shown yet. Right. And maybe that's something that comes out this year. Well... My read on the player when, you know, before last season started was more of a playmaker than a goal scorer. Yeah, that's how he was sold, I think. And obviously that didn't really play out last year. Now he's playing with Elias Patterson. Opportunities owned up, opened up for him, and he took advantage of every single one possible, 39 goals, 35 assists. But is this a player that you could see getting to 40 goals? I just – I have to see more. There is no world where it makes sense to bet on a player 
having back-to-back 25% or better shooting years. It's just, it's not realistic. It goes for the same in baseball, where you're not going to have a player have a BABIP, batting average on balls in play, over 400. So, like, every ball you hit is going to lead to a hit 40% of the time? Yeah. That does not happen. It happened to Chris Colabello. It happens to maybe one guy a year. It's not something you can bank on repeating. And obviously in the Chris Colabello situation, it didn't repeat. There was some other stuff Maybe, okay, yes, the PED thing maybe uh, played a factor as well. But you can look through NHL history, too, and see guys that had 20-plus shooting percentage. And did it repeat the next year? No, it doesn't. It regresses. The only thing that's going to help Kuzmenko – uh, lessen the impact of some of that regression is volume. And can he really pick up his volume from where it was? 143 shots last year. You want to see that be, you know, I would say between 180 and 200. Like, I don't see him all of a sudden getting to like 250, 300. That's a ridiculous yeah. increase year over year. You're not going to do that. But where do you find 50 more shots on goal? from what you had a year ago. I think that's a question Kuzmenko has to answer this year. I think the 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 easiest way to get that is cuz we saw last year there were moments where he was moved down the lineup, he was scratched for a game. Like you got to you have to earn your coach's trust as well. Yes. And that's going to go a long way in trying to get like just just making sure you have the opportunity to stay with Elias Pettersson on the top line, stay on the top power play. And if you're just playing more, you're going to get more shots. Yep. And, and maybe that's a way he finds uh, – he makes that up. Uh, just over 16 minutes of ice time, you know, for a top-line forward, you could see that jump up to about 18 minutes. We'll see if he gets trusted more in late-game situations. How many times did Rick talk it towards the end of the season? Just like, all right, final 10 minutes of the third. We have a lead. Kuzmenko, you are pasted to the bench. <laughs> you are not playing anymore. <laughs> so I think there's situations where we could see Kuzmenko's ice time – even increase as well. Um, other regression candidates, you know, I don't know if there really is one the all one, that much. The one I kind of thought of was um, just purely based on points is Philip Heronik. Right. Just because last year he, he had a career year. Um, well, I, it's an obvious one, too, because he's not going to play top power. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if people are expecting him to have the same amount of points, and I, I, I don't think people are. But that's kind of the only other guy I looked at. Because realistically, like, who last year had a year out of their norm other than Andre Kuzmenko? And even with Kuzmenko, we don't know if it's out of the norm yet. It just feels like it should be based on his shooting percentage and it being his first year in the league. Um, But realistically, I I can't think of anybody else where I was like, oh, you're not going to do that again. Yeah, like you're not going to say that about Elias Pettersson. Uh, JT Miller's basically been a point-of-game player since he showed up in Vancouver, so uh, regression I don't think is coming for him yet, especially with how big of a factor he is on the power play. Um, If anything, I think you know JT could probably increase his even-strength potential if he can carry on some of the gains that he showed towards the end of the season – once Rick Tockett took over as head coach. Those are areas where I can see JT getting even better. But guys like Connor Garland, I kind of expect a similar amount of production for him. Um, Besser had a down season by all accounts, so there's not really regression coming there. 
it's more on the low end. You know, can Dakota Joshua match a similar goal total to what he did last year in, in limited minutes? Those are not exactly great and very big conversations to have, but those are the kinds of things. It's just the Canucks uh, are – it sort of illustrates just how much the Canucks rely on the top end of their lineup to really bring the offense, Josh. Yeah, it does. And it's you, – you mentioned Joshua. Yeah. I – for me, like he, I almost put him in the uh, the breakout candidate scenario, just because I I think there's more in his game that we saw flashes of last year that I I would be interested in seeing. I don't I don't know about an extended spot in the top six, but maybe if things aren't clicking in the top six, if he gets a shot up there, that's a guy I'm interested in seeing. But to your point, I I very realistically could also see him regressing to where he was before. And uh, even Bovillia, you know, in fewer games he matched with the Canucks, he matched his exact point totals that he had with the New York Islanders when he came over. So can Bovillier still c- score at a, you know, 20-ish goal pace with 40-plus points? That's uh, something we'll keep an eye on as well. Rick and Richmond, only you two would come up with a question, which Canucks could regress this season? Negative, negative, negative. Also, one of you keeps saying Kuzmenko had 38 goals last year. Of course, he had 39 goals. Oh, major mistake. I made it earlier in the segment and then corrected myself later on. Thanks for the text, Rick. And also, 20 minutes of positivity before the five (laughs) minutes of negativity. 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, All right, we're going to get to uh, some things going on here at Nat Bailey Stadium. Andy Dunn, president of the Canadians, is going to join us next, and uh, we'll bring in some baseball talk as well. Massive series between the Blue Jays and Otani's Angels coming up this weekend. We'll get to some of that next. You are listening to The People's Show. It's The People's Show. We are... Live on location, the Mobile Kintech studio today is at Rogers Field at Nat Bailey Stadium. And we are joined now, tableside, with Andy Dunn, president of the Vancouver Canadians. What's happening, Andy? Oh, just getting ready for a ball game. And, um, you know, it's a beautiful day here in Vancouver. And yep. not a better place to be than Rogers Field at Nat Bailey Stadium for a, n- a Friday nooner to kick off the weekend absolutely and uh team is on uh, fire to start the season 20 and 7 on the year what's uh what's been the secret well you know we were fortunate we won the first half we continue to play well we're 20 and 7 in the second half um you know it, the whole club is just gelled we pitched well we've we swung the bats timely uh we showed power when we needed power we've played clean defense and i think when you put all those together it, it just helps win ball games. Uh, when you when you don't let guys on base, you don't put too much pressure on yourself defensively. But bottom line is we've pitched very well. I mean, the starting pitching's been outstanding. The bullpen's been tremendous, and it, it's we've been consistent with it all year. And that's something that uh, I give full credit to the, the guys in the clubhouse and the coaching staff. And we're in the in the second half here, twenty and seven, and run differential of plus fifty seven. So yeah, it's it's I been th- great. I think on the year we're what one sixteen run differential. We were yes or yesterday or the day before, and I was going through it. Again, we're scoring runs, and you know it's funny. Two nights ago, we're we're still getting no hit in the twelfth, <laughs> and every day we're just kind of finding a way to win. I mean, 
Everett's got some pretty good arms, and they've thrown well against us, and specifically the first game of the series. I mean, we're getting no hit, not through nine, not through ten, not through 11 and into the 12th. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they laid down a bunt and picked up a run on us in the top of the 12th. And uh, we ended up getting a base hit late in the, in the 12th with one out, scored two, and ball game. I think we've had eight or nine walk-offs this year. And it's it's an exciting team to watch. It's an exciting night here at the ballpark. And, you know, every day I give credit to the clubhouse and the coaches and to Brent, our managers, they just find a way to get it done, and to me, that's the sign of a winning of a winning ball club. Isn't that? Uh, it's one of the great things about baseball, though. You never know what you're going to get when you go to the ballpark. You get no hit for 12 innings. <laughs> I mean, how many ball games have you watched, Andy? And something like that doesn't happen. You know, the funny thing I was telling somebody yesterday, I said, I said that was the craziest damn game I think I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. I mean, you know, the funny part is watching these guys play all year. Yeah. I never panicked because the situation was we were always – I mean, we pitched well enough yeah. to allow ourselves to be in that situation. It wasn't like we were down 4 nothing and getting no hit. Our guys had done a good job shoving it, strike, strike, pound of the, pound of the strike zone. And we, we, we were right there with them. And so everybody's, oh, you were getting no hit in the 12th. Yeah, well, we hadn't given up any runs yet, though, had we? Yeah, and you and, won the game. You know, we ended up winning the ball game. But it's, it's a strange game, and that's a great thing about it in, in our sport. Even if you have a great win or you have a really tough loss, it's one day. Turn the page because we're playing again tomorrow, and let's go back to work. And we were talking talking in the break here. Uh, it hasn't it hasn't really been one player as much as it, it's just been the whole team. Whole team, and, we, and we've had some key losses through the year. I mean, it's not like we haven't lost players up up to New Hampshire Double A, but every day it's somebody chipping in, and new guys who have come up from Dunedin have always shown up gotten excited and contributed and right now the entire roster has contributed to where we are right now on the season and you know we won the first half we've got playoff tickets on sale for the postseason we'll be hosting games three four and five and fans are asking me well what happens if we win both halves and i said well unfortunately we get still get games three four and five and you know so you get the home field advantage but if you win the first two on the road you're only going to play and again you want to make sure you have it if you need it uh, but I was telling fans, and I, I'm going to start lobbying MLB, that if, if you win both halves, you should just get to host both <laughs> the sure. entire postseason. Yeah, you could. I mean, but seriously, I mean, yeah. what's the advantage? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you, we're in, we're guaranteed. Yes, it will help us sit some guys late and get the rotation we want set up in the postseason. But, you know, I'm all for I would love to win both halves and be able to tell our fans all the playoffs are going to be <laughs> in Vancouver. Um, yeah. But I don't think anybody would want to come up here and play us right now because we're playing pretty well at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the record at home, the record all year has been unreal. You mentioned defense earlier, and, you know, people want to come to the ballpark. They want to see home runs and things like that. But pitching and defense for a, a baseball truther like myself, it's it's so good to come to the, to come to the game and, and be able to see good pitching and good defense. And that seems to be an organizational philosophy here. It really is. I mean, the Jays have done a good job going out and targeting the right guys in the draft, uh, develop, developing them through the system, whether they're starting at the complex and then going to Dunedin. But, you know, when we made the switch from the short season to the, to the high A, I, I told people, I said, you know, you're going to see a more polished player. You're going to see a more physical player. Yeah. Where you're seeing currently, you're seeing more offense in the building, meaning home runs yeah. than you've ever seen. Guy, it's, guys can c- command the field. They're physically strong enough. They're not tired. They're not coming off a college season where they've already played 70 games and then coming up here. 
but it's just a more polished game. It's a better game to watch. And, you know, with the inclusion now of the pitch clock, which I personally am a big fan of, the game goes. It's, it's, a, it's an entertaining event. You're not here for four and a half hours. And, yep. um, you know, one of the big things with the pitch clock, going over the stats we were going over with with Major League Baseball, in the past, at some point, we were going four, five, almost six minutes without a ball being put in play. And that's too long. I mean, if you're sitting in a movie theater, you don't want to sit in for six minutes and not have any dialogue. Yeah. And that, and when you look at it from an entertainment standpoint, that's kind of what you were looking at. But it's, you know, what we currently are doing here right now is they're playing well. Our great fans are loyal and coming to the ballpark every night. We're winning. And it's just turned out to be a great summer so far. And, and in terms of the organization, uh, you like mentioned that the defense is kind of a priority throughout. Are you seeing players coming to Vancouver more prepared than they were previously? Well, I don't know if I'd call it more prepared. I'd say more experienced. Um, again, these guys have been in the nutrition program, the weight program. They've been in the system an additional two years to go uh, have spend more time on the field with uh, our minor league coaching staff, with the, 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 the rovers, the special instructors that travel around, whether it's defensively, infield, catching. You're just – it's just a more polished product. And – you know, it's a whole it's a whole different level when you're looking at a, a young guy who's got 50 minor league bats versus a guy who's got 1500. It's just, I mean, you guys, it's the same thing with you guys. Are you better now if you've done 10 shows on the radio or you've done 3,000 shows on the radio? 3,000. There you go. And, <laughs> yeah. But it's the same thing on the field here. You just get guys who are, are attuned. They're attuned to the lifestyle. They understand the workload. They understand what kind of arms they're going to see every night and what it's going to take to win ball games. Is this a, a nervous uh, couple of days for you? The team is going well, and uh, but, you know, the big club is maybe looking to make some additions ahead of the uh, MLB deadline on Tuesday. Well, you know, the funny thing is when you look at it is from an organizational standpoint, you know, the goal is to win the World Series. Yeah. And as an organization, you want to make sure you're developing and players. You're wanting to create value for players. And if you end up losing a guy to help at the big league level, I mean, it's funny. I, I learned this a long time ago when I was a farm director. Um, I walked in the office one day, and I was a young guy, and our general manager walks up and says, yeah, pretty good day yesterday. Every one of your minor league clubs won, which is rare, which yeah. is hard to do. And I smiled back at him. I said, yeah, it's a pretty good day. He goes, no, it wasn't because the big league club got beat. <laughs> and at the end of the day, that's what the organization is about, developing players, whether you're going to have to lose them in a trade to pick up a piece. But the bottom line, the entire organizational goal is to win a World Series in Toronto. Uh, what can uh, people expect here at uh, Rogers Field uh, over the weekend? It's going to be a busy weekend. Uh, yeah. I think all today, tomorrow, and Sunday are all sold out. Uh, okay. But we're just looking for good weather, fans to come out and have some fun, and hopefully get three wins. Yeah, sold out tells me get your tickets in advance and make sure get, to get, uh, get your hands on some playoff Get them in tickets. advance, but I, I will say this, and I'm, I'm not on here trying to pitch ticket sales, but – yeah. The one event I'm, I've been looking forward to uh, for a while is on the 8th of August when uh, former Jays manager John Gibbons is coming to town. So Gibby's going to come to oh. town and mm -hmm. do a superstar series for us. And uh, I think the fans, if you come out and spend a little time with Gibby, I think you're really going to – it's not something you're going to want to miss because yeah. he's, he's a pretty unique and he's – He's a guy you just you'll get a kick out of getting to know a little bit. Yeah, fewer better people than uh, Gibby around these parts. Uh, thanks so much for this, Andy. Really appreciate the time. Appreciate you guys, and uh, let's go seas. Let's go seas. That is uh, Andy Dunn, the president of the Vancouver Canadians. Uh, big series uh, coming up against Everett 
over the course of the weekend. Team is on fire and really going to continue as the summer goes on. 20-7 and seven right now and already booked their playoff place moving on through later this summer. So, Rogers Field at Nat Bailey Stadium. Your tickets going to be hard to come by this weekend, so get them in advance if you're looking to come out and watch some Seas baseball. It's the place to be. It is the place to be right now. No better place to watch a ball game. Well, it's the only place to watch a good ball game here in Vancouver and have a little pint and uh, enjoy what's going on on the field. Uh, Dan Richo and Josh Elliott Wolf, it's the People's Show. Um, stick it on the baseball front. Blue Jays and Angels this weekend. Just talked to Andy, you know, uh, how you know this is kind of one of those times where you, you, you understand you might lose a player or two if the Blue Jays go after somebody ahead of Tuesday's Major League Baseball trade deadline. But as of right now, the Blue Jays haven't made their big splash, and their opponents, who are three and a half games behind them for the final wild card place, are visiting the Blue Jays this weekend it is Shohei Otani and the L.A. Angels. They went and traded for Lucas Giolito out of the Chicago White Sox, one of the most prized deadline assets out there. And this is a team that, as it stands right now, they've won 7 of 10 coming out of the All-Star break, and they still have just a 16% chance to go to the postseason. They are kind of the team, the Angels are, the sort of team, Josh, that we would rip – to shreds for going after a big piece and giving up a bunch of assets at the deadline. However, it doesn't feel like it is necessarily that black and white of a situation with the Angels. Yeah, it's so difficult just because you have Shohei Otani and you know he's probably going to leave at the end of the year. And you've got Mike Trout coming got back. Got Mike from Trout injury, coming back. Um it's just it's really difficult to sell your fan base, especially on being like, we're going to keep it all the same and hope it works out when it hasn't in yeah. previous years, right, if you're the Angels. Um, I, I, I am a fan of teams that eventually just push their chips in. Yep. And I don't think it's going to work out for the Angels, but y- you got to do something to try to capitalize yeah. on what you have there. Well, I think um, similar conversations can be had. I mean, look, the, the Leafs have at least shown that they're a playoff team over the last number of years, though they can't really seem to get over the top despite some of their talent. There's no world where I think it would be acceptable for them to trade Austin Matthews. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, well, you're not resigning. I guess this is our all-in year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what, what else are you supposed to do? I, I, yeah, you trade Austin Matthews, may as well trade everybody. Right. It, it just doesn't really compute. And you only have so many opportunities to get after it when you have a player of that caliber. The Edmonton Oilers are going to have to go over that conversation with Dreisaitl and McDavid in the next couple of years. When you have superstar talent that you know is going to be very difficult to replace, I sort of get the, well, like I'd rather just go for it with this group than try to build another group that's like it. Now, the Angels have a reputation of trying to build a playoff contender when they're nowhere close. And I get that. It's part of the conversation. But realistically, you are literally never going to find a better player yeah. than Shohei Otani. And it doesn't matter how many prospects you go out and get, you are never finding a better player than Shohei Otani. Yeah, and especially when you can also pair him, and I know Mike Trout's injured right now, but you can pair him with Mike Trout. Like yes. You're never going to have a better duo, maybe in baseball, yeah, ever. 
than the Angels have right now. And it's also part of their pitch to keep Otani, right? He wants to stay on the West Coast. He seems like he wants to stay in the L.A. area. The Angels owner, Artie Moreno, doesn't want to lose Shohei Otani to the guys just up the highway in Los Angeles. This is as much of a pitch to keep Otani as it is anything else. Mm -hmm. And in that respect, I get it. Because not only is Otani the best baseball player on the planet, who's going to be literally impossible to replace, I'll say it again, he is a ticket-generating machine, right? He is an eyeball-drawing machine. He is a jersey-selling machine, a merchandise-selling machine. Whatever you want to call it, Otani does it. And that has to play a big factor into an owner's mind when making this kind of decision. Like, just yesterday, okay, the Angels have a doubleheader against the Tigers. Otani throws a complete game, one-hit shutout with eight strikeouts in the first half of the doubleheader, and then in the second half, he hits two bombs. Yeah. Like, where, where are you finding this guy? And then they pulled him out late because he's like, well, he's cramping up. Well, no, like, of course. He's playing, the whole, he's playing multiple <laughs> games. He threw 111 pitches earlier. Of course he's cramping up. Jeez, give the guy a break. Yeah. And... You know, it's just like this guy is a cheat code. It's like if you went into Game Genie and, like, put in every cheat code to make your team amazing or you built somebody in MLB The Show or NHL 2024, whatever they're on now, and made every stat 99. That's Shohei Otani, except he lives in real life. And you think about this weekend now, they go up against the Jays. Angels are three games back of the Jays, three and a half games back of the Jays. If they find a way to sweep this series – Probably a good thing for the Jays that Otani's not pitching. They find a way to sweep this series. All of a sudden, you got a wild card race on your hands if you're the LA Angels. Yeah, and you also got to worry about uh, both the Jays and the Angels have to worry about the Red Sox are one and a half games behind the Jays. The yeah. Yankees, two and a half games. Like, this is, and, and not to mention the Mariners as well, who are six and four in their last ten, four and a half games back of Toronto. Uh, it's... It's a really pivotal series for for both teams, and it feels like if things go like if things go wrong for the Jays, it's not the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But if things go wrong for the Angels here, it could be like man, you're you're four or five games back. Yeah, that that's tough to come back from. It would be a bit of a heartbreaker if they somehow get crushed by the Blue Jays. Now the Jays went. Um, you know, they split their two series in their recent road trip lost the one uh, against Seattle, and then, of course, won the series against the L.A. Dodgers. It's kind of the story of the Blue Jays' season, just ever so close to being that much better. I mean, they probably should have won that series against the Mariners, but weren't able to close it out. And probably should have swept the Dodgers. And probably should have swept the Dodgers. You could very easily make the argument they should have been 5-1 and one on that road trip. That's the story of the Blue Jays' season where they just feel a little bit of underachievers. Mm -hmm. And this stretch of baseball that they're about to go on, we're going to talk about it a little bit more later on in the show, but this stretch of baseball that they're about to go on, the Angels here, they have four games against the Orioles early next week, and then they play the Red Sox, who the Red Sox have just absolutely obliterated the Jays. Yeah. 
you know, it, this year they re- like they remember that one game where the Jays almost scored 30 runs last year, yeah. and they're like, we're not gonna let that happen ever again. <laughs> uh, the Baltimore, the Boston Red Sox right now are the owner of the Toronto Blue Jays. That's the way that the season has played out. So I think this stretch for the Jays is a big tell, and I wonder what they do at the deadline. I mean, there's been speculation that ownership isn't all in on believing in this team. They don't need a ton. You know, they have a lot of talent on the roster already. It's kind of get a big bullpen arm, get another bat, and that should be enough to round out this squad for a playoff push through the final two months. Yeah, and honestly, if they get through this deadline, like, like whenever you're in playoff contention, it feels like you have to do something. Yes. But if they don't end up doing anything major, I still feel like they're set up just fine. But, but – Coming out of the deadline, you're right. This the schedule is what makes things really yeah. difficult. Because if you're playing the Orioles, that will probably decide the. I don't, I don't want to say the division as a whole, but if you lose that series, you're oh, you got to win three or four in that series to yeah. to have a chance at, at making a push for the AL. And then like you play the Red Sox, and you mentioned they have their number, and the Red Sox only one and a half games back of the Jays right now. Like this next week and a half is going to be probably the most pivotal of the Jays season until we get to September. Uh, One other interesting note about the Angels and this move for Lucas Giolito. It put them into the luxury tax. And one thing I, uh, I'm completely shocked at the Angels have never spent into the luxury tax, which is wild to me. I mean, they've had Mike Trout, for years on an expensive contract, even before the $420 million thing that he signed a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. but Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols, Anthony Rendon, Josh Hamilton. I mean, they've always been players mm-hmm. for some of the biggest free agents, and they pretty much own the biggest free agent busts in Major League Baseball history. Like, they pretty much have the top five oh, yeah. on their roster. Hamilton and Pujols are maybe one and two and Rendon is probably three. So it, it's kind of wild to me that they've never spent into the luxury tax. And that I think that goes to what I mentioned earlier, it being Artie Moreno's pitch to Shohei Otani, like, hey, we really want to keep you here. Yeah, and the, the I would say the reason they haven't is probably the reason the Angels haven't had success. They, <laughs> like, they find, like, two guys, and they're yes. like, this is it. Yeah. It'll be fine. We're good. Um, we have Mike Trout. We just need one more star player. Let's find that guy in free agency. Yeah, and, whereas, like, that's obviously – Especially in baseball, that's you just can't build a build a competitive team that way. Regardless of how, again, those are like that's the best duo in baseball maybe ever, and it's still not working. Like you get you got to figure out how to add pieces around it, and the Angels have really really struggled with that. And they've also like to an extent been unlucky when yes. it comes to Rendon and and other players. Like they they've had injuries, guys just suck when they get to Anaheim. Like yeah. things happen, but you got to figure it out. Guys get the bag, and they uh, just all of a sudden start to uh, suck. It's unbelievable. Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? Never happened in pro sports ever before. Uh, all right, it's Dan Rachel and Josh Elliott-Wolf still to come. Uh, we're going to talk to David Pinota, his take on some of the things happening around the hockey world. Vladimir Tarasenko signing with the Ottawa Senators yesterday, a one-year $5 million deal. Are the Senators finally primed to take a playoff spot in that dreaded Atlantic division. 
You know, the Bruins losing Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci. Ottawa has continued to build. Jacob Chikrin was their big acquisition last year. Can they finally make that push? We'll talk about some of those things with Dave Pinota and uh, get more in on the Blue Jays as well with Josh Goldberg later on in the hour. Um, quick thought, though, Josh. Mm-hmm. Middle of summer. It's real hot every day. It is. Are you a cold shower guy? Uh, am I a cold shower guy? So what? I I'd... can't live without cold showers. I've realized. Oh, really? This. Yeah. When when we got the heat dome, that's when I was going hard <laughs> on the cold showers. <laughs> what I do in the summer, yeah, is I will take a regular shower, and then before I get out, I will turn it on cold, as cold as it can get, for like mm. twenty seconds. Wow. And then I get out refreshed, and I feel good. <laughs> That's uh, that's kind of the thing, right? You, you do the 30-second cold water therapy, yeah, and then you're good to go. Sets up my whole day. Refreshes the body. Yeah. Uh, we've got a mailbag coming up as well. Get your questions in, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Coming up, back in on the Hockey Talk, Dave Pinota of the fourth period joins us on Sportsnet 650.